Good morning. Welcome. Glad you're here today. We welcome everyone to uh, Community Baptist Church as we gather to worship the Lord together. And we welcome our guests especially. Uh, You're very important to us. We're glad that you're here today and hope that you'll feel very much part of our family as we worship God this morning. Uh, Let me call to your attention some announcements that we have. First of all, let me remind everyone of our attendance sheets on each row like to ask if everyone would fill that out and uh, check the appropriate box on there, put your name and address and phone number, and especially if you'd like to receive our email newsletter, please put your email address on there, and we'll be sure to get you on the list for that. That comes out every Thursday, and it's a great way to uh, keep up with what's going on at Community Baptist Church. Uh, speaking of what's going on at Community Baptist Church, we have a lot going on. Uh, Uh, Thank you, everybody. First of all, thank you for our wonderful uh, Fellowship Cafe this morning. That was wonderful. We uh, thank you for that. It's good to have a time of fellowship and sharing uh, food and uh, and laughter together. So thank you for those that prepared that. And uh, tonight we will be playing volleyball and eating pizza. Not at the same time, uh, but in close proximity. Um, uh, so we'll be doing that at 6 o'clock this evening, so we invite you to come and join with that. You don't have to be good. I play. Amen. <laughs> but it's a lot of fun, and it's great to, to share that time. So come and, and join us at 6 o'clock. It's a great time of fellowship. Now, uh, we need your help. Since we're playing volleyball, we play right here in the middle, middle of the floor. So after church, if you wouldn't mind staying, you able-bodied people, if stay for a few minutes and help us move the chairs off the, off the floor, we would certainly appreciate that. Uh, Allie, I think you have an announcement. Is that right? Sunday, the youth and the children would be honored if you all would join us for a fundraiser. Right after church, we are going to have a meal, a delicious meal of chicken breast and baked potatoes and green beans and rolls and dessert and just yumminess. And we would love it if you would join us. $10 a ticket is a great way to help celebrate Valentine's Day and stretch it out a little bit more. Um, And it is a fundraiser for both the youth and the children. And our ministry is here. And sign-up is on the table over by the door. Thank you. Excellent. Thank you. That's that's next Sunday, right after church. It's kind of a Valentine's uh, lunch and uh, a fundraiser for our youth and our children. So let's, uh, let's show our youth and our children how much we love them around Valentine's Day by coming and sharing this time. And, and, uh, and, and it's, it's guaranteed to be a good meal and good time, and, uh, and we invite you to come and be a part of that. have some other things going on on Wednesday. We have our blood drive uh, from 2 to 6 on Wednesday. So if you would like to uh, an appointment... Uh, to give blood, see Jika, and she'll be glad to take your name and put you down there. On Friday, uh, Susie Painter, uh, the executive director for uh, the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship, will be near us in Owensboro at Third Baptist Church, and that's for lunch on Friday at 12 noon. And so I'm going. Uh, I know that several of us are going. If you would like to go, let me encourage you to go. This is a great time, a great opportunity to get to know her and to ask her some questions and see her vision for uh, the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship. Uh, so let me encourage you to go. And if you would like to go, there's a, um, you can go online to make a reservation or you can call Third Baptist Church to make a, a lunch reservation. And, uh, and let me know uh, because we can do some carpooling. There's no sense in, you know, a dozen folks taking a dozen cars. So let's, uh, let me know and we can arrange for a carpool. And then Saturday, there's another special day, a special event. What is that? What is, what is that, Fred? <laughs> Fred's 80th birthday. 
Fred Shortridge 80th birthday birthday bash on Saturday from, uh, well, it's here somewhere. When, when is it? <laughs> what is it? Two to four? Two to four. All right. So come and help Fred celebrate his 80th birthday. That will be a great time. Congrat- congratulations there, Fred. Happy birthday. A little early there. Uh, it's great to be here with you folks. It's great to share the love of God with one another. So let me invite you to do just that. Let's stand and share the love of God.
join me in the responsive reading. We are embraced by our church. As babies sing, as unique beings, we are welcome in this community. And we are embraced by our church. As children, we bring our lives to service and have these shots for our fellowship time. We are welcome in this community. And we are embraced by our church. As you, wrestling with questions of who we are, and we are embraced by our church. As adults, seeking nurture and focus with the inspiring demands of the week, we are welcome in this community. And we are embraced by our church. As imperfect beings, making mistakes and disappointing ourselves, yet also rising to unexpected heights, we are welcome in this community. And we are embraced by our church. As individuals seeking companionship amidst the triumphs and tragedies of day-to-day living, we are welcome in this community. And we are embraced by our church. Through all ages and all stages, all the ups and downs of a lifetime, we are welcome in this community. And we are embraced by our church. Thanks be God for this church and all who join together to make it home. Amen. scripture reading for today comes from Luke 22:40. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it was written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping of what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and for the Holy Spirit and was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought him in the child of Jesus, to do for him of what the custom of the law required. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, So the Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a life for the revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people of Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was a prophet There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night, day, and fasting and praying. Coming up to them at a very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. Okay, good 
morning. All right. Is this it? No more children? Oh, all the children. Okay. Okay, guys. Who knows who this is? Dr. Seuss. Who knows who this is, though? Anybody read this story? This is Horton. Horton hatches the eggs. Anybody know this story? You know this story? What's the story about? Oh, you forgot. Okay, we're going to talk a little bit about Horton, okay? And I'm going to tell you a real quick story about Horton. He's sitting on an egg. That's right. You remember this story? Okay. This is Horton. Okay. Horton's an elephant. Okay, and this is Maisie. Maisie is a lazy bird. She has an egg in her nest. Okay. Now, she's sitting on this egg, and she gets really tired of sitting on this egg, even though this is her egg, and this is supposed to be her child, her, her little baby bird, but she's tired. It takes a long time to hatch this egg, and she has to sit there, and she can't go anywhere, and she can't do anything, so she's really tired of doing that, and she thinks, well, maybe if somebody comes along, I can talk them into sitting on my nest for a while, so along comes Horton. Here he comes by her tree. So Macy thinks, well, you know, maybe I can talk Horton into sitting on my nest. And you know what? She does. She talks Horton into sitting on her nest. So Horton says to her, you want a vacation? Go fly away. I'll sit on your egg. I'll try not to break it. I'll stay and I'll be faithful. Now what's that mean to be faithful? Who knows? When Horton says, I'll stay and I'll be faithful, he's saying there. That means go do it. That's right. That's exactly what that means, Gracie. I mean what I say, and I'll do it. So Toodaloo says Maisie, and you know where she goes? Where? She's somewhere where? To the beach. To Florida. You do remember, Gracie. All right. She goes to Florida. I like to be in Florida. Okay. So he goes up in the tree, and along comes around the other people and the, the other animals in the forest and sees Horton sitting on this tree, and they laugh at him, and they make fun of him, and they tell him to come on down and play with him and get off that tree because he's not a bird, and what's he doing sitting on that tree? But what do you think Horton does? He doesn't come down because he's being what? Faithful. He's being faithful. Exactly. And what he tells them over and over in all kinds of people and all kinds of situations tries to get him to come off that nest and off that egg, but he sits. Who can read this? Who wants to read this? Sarah, read it. Excellent. What's Dr. Seuss? Well, Maisie um, comes back around a little bit later towards the end and says, Oh, the egg's starting to hatch, so that's my baby, that's my egg, that's my bird. And all of a sudden, when it hatches out, it's an elephant bird because Horton has been there for 52 weeks because he's been faithful. And so Maisie doesn't get the bird, Horton gets to keep it. Yeah, it's an elephant bird because Horton has been faithful, okay? Okay, now, can we say just a word of prayer, please? Dear Father, let us, like Horton, say, I meant what I said, and I said what I meant. I'll be faithful to God 100%. As you are faithful in keeping our promises to us, Lord, may we be faithful in keeping ours to you. Amen. And I have for each of you a peanut butter egg. Take it with you. Don't sit on your egg with Miss Mary.
pray with me, please? Gracious and loving Father, you call us to be stewards of your abundance, the caretakers of all you have entrusted to us. Help us to always use your gifts wisely and teach us to share them generously. Send the Holy Spirit to work through us. Bring your message to those we serve and make our faithful stewardship bear witness to the love of Jesus Christ in our lives. We pray with grateful hearts. Amen.
Thank you, choir. What a, an inspiring uh, music for us, an inspiring message of encouragement for all of us. As you can see, the uh, title of my sermon today is Faith in Family Life. And you know, it's not easy being a family, is it? It's not easy being a family. I, I, the family life is full of interesting twists. As a matter of fact, I heard about a man who was on his way home with a new car, and the car was absorbing all of his attention as he tried to figure out all of the new gizmos and gadgets in the new car. But then it struck him that he had forgotten something. But for the life of him, he couldn't remember what it was. He stopped twice on the way home, counted his packages and searched his pockets, but finally decided that he had had everything with him. But that nagging feeling just kept bothering him. And then when he got home, his daughter ran ran out of the, the house and stopped short and then cried, Daddy, where's Mommy? He's still trying to live that one down. Yes, family life is difficult. There was a story in Reader's Digest a while back about a woman who was nine months pregnant with twins. She stepped up to the the meat bin in the supermarket searching for that perfect roast. And about that time, the butcher appeared from the back and asked, may I help you? And the woman said, no, thank you. I'm, I'm just looking. And then a minute later, he came back again. Can I help you, he asked. And the woman repeated, no, I'm, I'm just looking. And then a few minutes later, he appeared yet a third time. Can I help you, he asked. And the woman said, no, rather testily, I'm just looking. And so he responded, in that case, would you mind stepping back a bit? Your stomach keeps pressing on our service bell. Ah, the joys of motherhood. All right, one more for today. One mother told about a long road trip with her family. And this was a long one, folks, from Caribou, Maine, all the way to Florida's Disney World. And before leaving home, the children were warned that this would be a long trip. And no one was to ask how much farther or when will we get there. And the journey was remarkably question-free until about 9 a.m. on the third day when little Teresa said, Will I still be five when we get there? (laughs) Yeah, family life is fun. And some of the best memories that we have come from from growing up in a loving family. And I kind of think that's probably true for Jesus as well. His family was not wealthy. They had no position of power in the community, but they were a devout, loving family. They loved God and they loved each other. Listen to our lesson for today. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took Jesus to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord as is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law, a pair of doves or two pigeons. Now there was a righteous and devout man there in Jerusalem named Simeon. And Luke tells us that Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit had revealed to Simeon that he would see the Messiah before he died. So he came to the temple on that particular day, led by the Holy Spirit. And there stood this humble couple with their small child. Luke tells us that Simeon took Jesus up into his arms and and, and began singing, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, he said. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for your revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Then Simeon turned to Mary and Joseph, who by this time I'm sure were glowing in amazement. And and he announced to them that their child was a very special child. Well, of course, every child is special to its parents. But this child would be a blessing to the entire world. And then Simeon, Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many, and the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. But then he said something 
rather disturbing. He turned to Mary and said, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also an older woman there named Anna. Luke calls her a prophet. Luke gives some extensive details about Anna's life. She was a daughter of Penuel and of the tribe of Asher. She had lived with her husband for seven years and then was a widow until she was 84 years old. And she never left the temple to worship day and night, fasting and praying. I think it's interesting that Luke included all of these details um, about Anna. That's more information that we know about most of Jesus' disciples. But the important thing here is that Anna affirmed what Simeon had said about Mary and Joseph's baby. Coming up to, to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. And after describing this day, Luke ends his story by saying, When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law, they returned to Galilee, to Nazareth. And the child grew, became strong, was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. Now this is about all we know of Jesus' younger years. We know that the the Holy Family would have to flee to Egypt to escape the wrath of Herod. And we know that We know the story of Jesus in the temple when he was 12 years old. Other than that, we don't know much about Jesus' childhood. But there are two things that jump out at us immediately from this story. First of all, Mary and Joseph were people who observed the Jewish law. The dedication at the temple probably took place 40 days after Jesus' birth. They brought him to the temple to be dedicated to the Lord and also for a purification rite for for Mary. And all of these things were done according to the law. So it seems that religious faith was at the center of this young family's life. And I wish that that could be said for more families today. You know, it doesn't take long for faith to be erased from our culture we let it slip in our families. Dennis Rainey said that one of his favorite quotes, which he often used at family life conferences, concerns the the downward spiral that Christian faith can take from one generation to the next. He said, to our forefathers, the Christian faith was life. To our parents, it was ritual. To us, it was a burden. And to our children, It will be abandoned. My friends, that's scary. But it's also true. We can already see it happening. And one of the reasons that our society is is falling apart the way it is so, so often is that many of us are not looking after the spiritual nurture of our children. And that's important that we do that. Chuck Colson tells about visiting Uh, Buckingham Palace many years ago, several years ago. He had a conversation with with Prince Philip, and and the prince asked him, what can we do about crime here in in England? And Colson replied, send more children to Sunday school. Well, the prince thought thought he was joking when he said that, but Colson pointed to a study which shows that in the first half of the 1800s, British society was marked by high levels of crime and violence. But those levels of crime and violence dropped dramatically in the late 1800s. And what was it that changed the character of an entire nation? Well, through that period of time, attendance at Sunday schools rose steadily until by 1888, 75% of all children in England were enrolled in the Sunday school. Since then, attendance has fallen and crime and disorder has risen. Colson says, if we fill the Sunday schools, we can change hearts and we can restore society. You know, he's right. We are letting society down when we fail to get our boys and girls exposed to the gospel. And we let our boys and girls down as well. Fred Craddock tells about a young woman who came to him during her freshman year in college. She told him that she was failing all of her classes. She wasn't getting any dates. 
She didn't have much money. She didn't have as much money as most of the other students had. And she was lonely. She was depressed. She was homesick. And then one afternoon, one Sunday afternoon, she went down to the river near the campus, got on the bridge across the river, climbed up on the rail. And when she was looking down at the waters below, she was ready to end it all. And then she said, for some reason, I thought of the line, cast your cares upon the Lord, for he cares for you. She said, I stepped back, and here I am. But Craddock asked her, where did you learn that line? And she said, I don't know. He said, do you go to church? She said, no. She said, when I visited my grandma in the summers when I was a kid, we went to Sunday school and church. And Craddock said, ah. He knew where she learned to cast her cares upon the Lord. It was in Sunday school. And I just wish that all of the world's children were that fortunate. My friends, can you honestly say that faith is at the center of your family's life? Can you honestly say that? Or is it football? Or soccer? Or music? Or some other pastime? And don't get me wrong, these things are all well and good unless, unless they become idols. Unless we build our lives around them to the point that they crowd God out. And of course, if you really want to put faith at the center of your family, there's one more thing that you can do. A recent study has found that the single most important factor in developing a lifelong, mature faith is the simple act of families doing something good for someone else together, cooking a meal, visiting a sick person, planting a garden for a needy neighbor. It doesn't really matter what it is. What matters is that children do it with their parents because when they do that, the message sticks. Serving other people in the name of Jesus is what Christians do. The fact is that our children are likely to do as we do regardless of what we say. So the first thing that jumps out at us about Mary and Joseph is that faith was, the, was at the center of their lives. The second thing that jumps out at us is that Mary and Joseph and Jesus were not a wealthy family. You see, the sacrifice that they offered, the pair of turtle doves or, or two young pigeons, this was a sacrifice prescribed for the poor. So this is how God would begin the redemption of mankind. God would start at the bottom of society with a borrowed manger and, and the most humble of homes. And this pattern would hold true all throughout his life. Jesus would not be about the accumulation of wealth or, or power or status. At one point he said foxes have Dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And it was true. They even had to borrow a grave to bury him in. So the Lord of all creation humbled himself on our behalf. And you know, we, we always admire people who come from humble beginnings and, and make something of themselves. Some of you may remember when Jimmy Carter from the tiny plain, uh, uh, town of Plains, Georgia, first came upon the national stage. There's a reporter named Bill Cotterell who uh, recalls that he was driving from Atlanta to, to Plains on the morning after Carter wrapped up the Democratic nomination for president. And Cotterell said that um, he was playing a, a country music station on his radio in the car there. And this country music station near Plains let off its news by saying this. America's police report no calls overnight. There was a small fire in the back of Gibson's grocery store. And a Sumter County man will be the Democratic nominee for president. Details after this. No big deal. Just a peanut farmer from Plains. Now, Jesus wasn't the first person to be born of humble surroundings. 
But Jesus was not an ordinary man either. You see, as Paul tells us, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. In other words, it was God who left God's very throne to invade our world as a helpless little baby in a humble home in an obscure village in an occupied land. It's kind of like the story of a wise and good king from Persia many, many years ago, a long time ago. This king loved his people. He wanted to know how they lived, and he wanted to know about their hardships. So he often dressed in the clothes of, of the working man or a beggar, and he went into the homes of the poor. No one recognized him as their ruler. One time he visited a very poor man who lived in a cellar. He ate the stale bread that the poor man ate. He spoke cheerfully, kind words to him. Then he left. Later he visited the man again. He revealed his true identity by saying, I am your king. And the king, the king thought that the man would surely ask for some gift or some favor. But he didn't. Instead, the grateful man said, You left your palace and your glory to visit me in this dark, dreary place. You ate the coarse food that I ate. You brought gladness to my heart. To others you have given your gifts. To me you have given yourself. My friends, the King of glory, the Lord Jesus Christ, gave himself to you and to me. And the Bible calls him the unspeakable gift. And I just can't help but to wonder if as she was offering up her sacrifice of turtle doves, if, if Mary could possibly have imagined that her son would one day be offered up as the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. Could she in her wildest dreams have seen where this happiest of occasions would one day lead? That the son she dedicated to God on that day would one day kneel in a garden and con confirm with drops of sweat like blood, praying, Father, not my will, but your will be done. The Bible is clear that Mary could not see where God was leading her son. Neither could the rest of her family. It was only after his resurrection that they really understood and, and truly became one of his followers. But this simple man named Simeon, this simple woman named Anna, could see where this was leading. And as Simeon said to Mary, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And then he said, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. The unspeakable gift raised in a devout family, a family that could not give him much in the way of material resources. But they gave him so much more than that. They gave him the gifts of faith and love. And I pray that each of us will do nearly as well with those for whom we are responsible. Let it be said of each of us in our own families that we give each other the gift of faith and the gift of love. Amen. Let us sing together our closing hymn, number 384, The Bond of Love. I think it's very appropriate for our day today as we've been talking about the importance of love. We love our families, we love our God, and we love our extended families, our, our, our church families. We love each other. And so let's express that together as we sing our closing hymn, The Bond of Love, number 384.
are a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord, and a band of jewels in the heart of your God. You are clothed in the garments of salvation and in the robes of righteousness. Therefore, let joy and praise fill your heart and your soul to overflowing. Praise the Lord. Amen. 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 Amen.